0: Well, there's no problem. If you had a gun, shoot him in the head.
1: Welcome to Shoot Me Straight with David Field, Eddie Gallagher, and we're here with Eddie's friend. You want to introduce him?
0: Sure. Well, super excited to have him on, Jared Johnson. Uh, We've been buddies for I don't know how long now, Um, and I couldn't think of a better guest to have on and tell their story. Um, He's an inspiration to me, a good buddy of mine, and...
1: I'm um, just stoked to have you on, brother.
2: Yeah, man. Thanks for having me.
1: I've been training him in weightlifting for a while. <laughs> yeah. It's paying, He's getting there. He's getting there. Paying dividends. <laughs> <laughs> so so I have one question before we'll get into Jared's story, but with with Black Rifle specifically, we were talking about how um just like th- I feel like they are one of the few like just veteran owned and like super successful. Like they really are killing it, and they get it seems like they get some hate um mm-hmm. and is some of that just like like a cultural thing with like other special forces of like, oh man, they're like sell out or I think like I don't understand
0: I think some of it comes from, and you know there's that saying like nobody hates veteran owned companies or veterans like other other veterans right it's uh there's a lot of jealousy mm-hmm. involved um you know since I've got. Got out, you know. Three years ago, I've I've noticed that when veterans do get out and they become successful, there is a lot of jealousy and envy, and which then turns into hate, and yeah. they'll, they'll find reasons to to try and bring them down. Um, yeah. It's it's an unfortunate byproduct of where we come from. Um, it's very it's a very competitive nature. I'm sure, just like with the NFL, yeah. Um, <laughs> so that does bleed over when you get out into you know transition into the civilian world. Some of that still lingers. A little bit. Yeah, um,
2: it's, it's sad, man, it, you know, because there's a ton of veteran owned companies out there, whether training entities or, you know, starting like, you know, guys building guns or some sort of, you know, gadget or knife or, you know, something that, yeah. you know, they learned during their time in the military Um, you know, black rifles, probably the most popular I would, I can't think of another one that's publicly traded, starting from grassroots, you know, having started selling coffee out of his garage. And then eight years later, it's a publicly traded company, you know? So with that, I mean, you're going to get some hate, you know? And I think the other thing is when you support, you know, first responders and, you know, second amendment rights, you get thrust into the political world. And once you get, once you're in the political world, it's a world of bullshit. You know what I mean? And so, they they they're forced to make a stand and and you got it you got it you know because we're so tribal now and it's like whose side are you on you say you claim this but you do this but at the end of the day they're a company who serves coffee to everybody and you cannot make a political statement and alienate half the country i mean you cannot be a publicly traded company and out there they're 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 not a special interest group Mm -hmm. they're a company that sells apparel and and coffee you know what i mean so they have their beliefs that it's I mean, it's on everything that we have you know knives and guns and you know but um when I you just, once you get thrust in the political world man it's you all, know all it's, bets are off all bets are off yeah. it's none of it's fair
1: i just think it's so cool they came from because i see a lot of guys they'll, they'll come out of <clears throat> special forces specifically um but they'll come out and they're like hey I, i've had to be and we'll get this i'll segue into your story They've had to be so specially trained in one specific area, right? And so they weren't doing a lot of other stuff that just normal civilians have done. And so they just trained. They've just trained. And so then they get out and they're like, How do I translate this into like the real world? Yeah. You know, like there's not a huge uh interest for like clearing houses, right? You know, <laughs> and like, like how, it- how do I trans and and they kind of get stuck. And there also there's a sense that they're from what I've seen, it, it's like I've gotten orders mm-hmm. and I've, like, completed the orders. I've gotten right. orders, I've completed – and it's like I'm not getting orders now. Yeah, I have there's to, no order.
2: Nobody telling you what to do.
1: Yeah, I have to figure that out. And it's – I've tried to help several guys in, in this and just doing business coaching with them and just going, okay, like, you know, they're trying to figure out avenues of what they're passionate about. And, like, yep. it, it's tough. It's Very really tough. tough. And I feel like this is – with black rifles, it's such a cool story of them going mm-hmm. all the way to public company in eight years. Yeah. That's ridiculous for yeah. any, anyone. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, they and- set the bar um, real high, uh, you know, and I think they're, they should be looked at it as like an inspiration for other vets. I mean, oh. they've, they've taken, you know, I think Evan was, Evan was a green beret, you know, Matt was a ranger and then Jared was in the air force. Uh, he was a combat controller, mm-hmm. you know, they've, yeah, left that behind, and but they've they're using what they've what they learned during their, their careers, passions. their passions, mm-hmm. and you know now they're they're making coffee, which yeah. that wasn't part of their orders while they were in. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> it's I mean, like- Jared Taylor,
2: he 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 had like a sixty thousand dollar reenlistment bonus that he went and spent on camera equipment. Yep. And all his buddies were like, "Dude, are you crazy? Like, what are you doing?" And he was, but he he had a passion. that's what he wanted to do. He was really good at it. And then you couple that with Matt Best's online personality. Dude's freaking hysterical, you know, and he's back posting YouTube videos when nobody's doing that, you know, all this, you know, how to operate and, you know, how do veterans react to different situations, all these hilarious videos. And then you got got, uh, Evan Hafer who just has a passion for coffee that got way down that rabbit hole of not just trying to, you know, not just going to a cool coffee shop, but learning how it roasted, where the beans come from, what elevation, what's the different washing processes and like really it out over this stuff. That's awesome. I mean, it's just something, they just developed a passion for something then Brought you know, made the, the most of it. That's a great thing. That's an yeah. American dream. It's you an know awesome mean? story. Yeah. yeah.
1: Wish we could almost blueprint that for other veterans, <clears throat> right? Well, I Helping. think
0: you, I mean, I think you can try to, uh, but the, The reality is, and we can get, we'll get into this here with the transition is like, you know, transition out of the military. It doesn't matter how long you served, whether it's five to years, 20 years, it's a difficult thing to go through. Um, You have to, you know, reinvent yourself in a way, um, learn how to use the skills that you got from the military and sort of apply them on the outside, which is not, like we just said, not very easy. Yeah. But you're also finding a new purpose at the same time. Yeah. So there's all these things mixed in, which makes it very difficult, yeah. which is why when you see these successful veteran companies like Black Rifle, I mean, to me, I'm like, that is, it's awesome. Yeah. I'm like, and they should be lifted up and being like, hey, this is this is a possibility for all veterans. Yeah.
2: Uh, well, you know, you touched on something like that, that, you know, that just because you were a, a Special forces, whether it be SEAL or Green Beret or Ranger, whatever, like that doesn't you like you're the pinnacle of your military brethren, right? Yeah. In, the, in the terms of combat, but that doesn't really translate into to the private sector because they're like you said, you're not teaching people how to kick indoors, no. you know, yeah. the, the, like whatever, you know. And you see that it's almost like you're better off being like an IT guy in the Air Force or whatever, because that correlates to a job. You're better off being a pilot or a mechanic because that correlates to the private sector. Where I think that's a wrong statement is that if you are able to apply the personality traits and the drive that you did to become an operator and then redirect that same mindset and the same passion and relentlessness into something you just have to find that thing yep. and what guys do is they get out and they're like oh i'm not cool anymore i'm not jumping out of planes i'm not shooting you know i'm not doing this I'm, you know like whatever all right you're not and guess what you're never going to yeah. you, you're not going to jump out of planes anymore unless you go pay for it you yep. know what i mean they're not nobody's giving you free cool shit to go run around at night and do all your raids those days are over but you do have a unbelievable drive to achieve something you do have a sense of team teamwork that does not exist I, that's one thing i've realized about being out is that people are looking out for the most part people are looking out for themselves yes. like everything's got their own ambitions their own focus in mind like if you're on a platoon if you're on a SEAL platoon like who's on your mind your freaking buddies your teammates you know what i mean yeah. and like there's nobody that i've been around that can detect bullshit faster than guys that have been in combat, whether they're, you know, a Green Beret or, you know, whatever they are, or, you know, just somebody, you know, just a regular Army dude, 82nd Airborne, like whatever. Nobody can detect bullshit and knows how to communicate with people in a direct manner to get get things done. Yeah. Yeah, I run a coffee shop. I have... I've had six Green Berets that work for me. Now, we have a lot of really good employees, but they're my favorite because nothing phases them. Mm -hmm. They don't, they don't, like nothing, like they laugh at everything.
1: Wait, not even like Karens that come in and they're like.
2: They "Ah." they laugh at, I get pissed and I'm like, how dare you like question our coffee, like whatever. And they're just like, man, forget about her. They ain't shooting at us. Yeah, They're great communicators. They're, they nonstop, they're always working. business slows down, they start cleaning, they start doing. And, like, the other thing is, like, their attitude, like, it's always fun-loving. It's always joking around. Like, they're lifting the demeanor. Like, we're the younger people. You know, we've got some kids that work for us, high school kids and stuff. They're going to get on their phone. They're going to, like, start BSing. They're going to, like, start making, you know, stupid drinks. or like, whatever. Those guys never stop working. They are uh-huh. by far the best employees because they took like the attitude and the personality and the drive that made them what they were in the military and then they've applied it to being a barista. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Which yeah. is kind of crazy to say, but there, it's it's if you if you can take those traits, don't don't go into a hole, don't don't go drink yourself yep. to sleep. Apply what made you what you were and shift it to some passion outside in the in the, the private sector and you'll yeah. be great.
1: Yep. I think it's helping helping getting them to see that has been the difficult getting them to have that vision of it. It's like it doesn't matter. It, it could be anything, you know, and figuring out what their passions are. Yeah. So so tell us. So, uh I I know very little about your story. Um, but where where did you grow up?
2: We're going all, We're, way yeah, all the okay. way back. All the way back. All the way back. Okay. All right. We're going way back. All right. So my name's Jarrett Johnson. Uh I was born in Homestead, Florida, which is down south of Miami. Uh, my dad was a fireman in uh, Miami City, and uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. Um, firemen, you know, they work 24 on, 48 off, and a lot, of, a lot of them have second jobs. My dad was originally from Cedar Key, Florida, which is on the west coast north mm-hmm. of Tampa. He grew up in a, a fishing community. And uh, so, on his days off, he got his captain's license and was a uh, was a fishing guide out of Flamingo, which oh, is wow. in the is a little it's not even a town. It's like a it's like a, I mean it's nothing. It's like a, a boat ramp and like two um, uh, Forest service like buildings. Huh. Uh, but he 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 chartered out of there, fished all throughout the Keys, mainly in the in the Everglades, Whitewater Bay, up to uh Ten Thousand eyes Island region he fished all that for like seven years. So, uh, that's how I grew up, you know, grew up in Homestead, you know, um, just kind of, you know, just normal middle-class family. Brothers, sisters. I got an older sister. Um, she's two years older than me. Uh, in, let's see, in 84, we left South Florida. South Florida was growing like it still is today. And, uh, we moved back to Cedar Key, um, give a little more of a, uh, um, you know, stable, small town like my dad wanted to move us back to Cedar Key. Cedar Key is an interesting town. It's an island town. Uh, it's an end of the road. You know, you keep driving down highway 24, you know, if you keep going straight, you're gonna run off in you're gonna run off in the water. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's uh, it's a small town, it's the smallest public school in the state of Florida, where it was when I was there. Uh, less than a hundred kids in the high school. I had 16 kids in my class growing up. Uh, but it is, it is uh, a really interesting place to grow up because it's, um, it's, uh, it's an estuary, so it's really, really shallow. There's a lot of islands, there's a ton of places to explore. I had a little John boat and I was, was running around fishing and running around in the marsh grass, you know what I mean. And uh, it's an end of the road town. so it's an interesting community where you have second home people, people with that we would call rich people. And by rich, like their car would run. You know what I mean? Like they, they <laughs> there was no like real rich people. They just they had things, you know. Yeah. But most everybody just hardworking, you know, like whatever. But it's you know, end of the road. Just like like Key West, any island town you go to, it's gonna have a diverse community. You're always gonna have. Uh, um, for whatever reason, there's always an art culture there, a little bit of a hippie culture there, uh, a lot of drug abuse. Um, There's always some rougher characters. And then the fishing community, people that grew up on the water, are notorious, you know, even back in the pirate days. I mean, they're drinkers, they're fighters. It's just... Like, it is not uncommon to go down to Cedar Key, this little bitty town, and go to a bar and get your ass kicked. Oh. You know what I mean? It's, you know, the stories, like, when I was a kid, you know, nobody really went to college or did, did anything cool. Like, the stories we told and the stories you heard about were fist fights in the bars and stuff like that. I mean, that's sitting around the campfire, you know, the night before we are going hunting. That's all they did was sit around and talk about fishing and hunting and then somebody's ass they kicked yeah. back in the day. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's, how, you, that's, that's awesome. how I grew up. You know what I mean? But – um you know, so uh, my, we were, you know, when we moved back, my dad started commercial fishing. He was guiding a little bit, but mainly commercial fishing. He, he oystered blue crab, um, grouper fish, commercial grouper fish. And, uh, you know, it got kind of rough, you know, he kind of got fell in with some of his high school buddies grew up with, you know, you know, that was kind of darker times, you know, he was drinking a bunch and out and didn't come home sometimes. Um, you know, I got to see the strength of my mom and then in, 1989 he was uh offshore commercial grouper fishing was staying overnight and he was on anchor something happened boat sunk and my father was lost at sea um so you go from my mom you know with um little college education i think she did two years um i believe um it was a stay-at-home mom now thrust into being a breadwinner, stay-at-home mom, you know, but she's the toughest person I know. Um, She worked. um, She got a job um, as an EMT, uh, was on call at night, and then during the day she was driving to um, Ocala, which is 75 miles away, to go to nursing school. Uh, She became an RN, but then she got a job in – uh, in Ocala. So the vast majority of my childhood, my mom was gone because she would, you know, she would leave at like, you know, whatever, um, four o'clock in the afternoon, drive 75 miles to Ocala, work a 12 hour night shift and then, and then drive home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then she would sleep, she would sleep during the day cause she worked night shifts. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, she, she's an incredible person, you know, but, um, we were, uh, very, very independent. You know, rode our bikes everywhere. Get yourself to school. Get yourself to practice. Get yourself home. We had family in the area, so um, we did have. You know, I can. We could go eat dinner with somebody. Somebody could check on us or whatever. But, you know, I mean, the even into high school, I mean, we were. You know, we were on our own. You know mm-hmm. what I mean. Um, my mom did, um, you know. Later on, became a home health nurse, so she was home more often during our high school years. But when I was young, man, um, I, I did have, you know, some some father, you know, that figure step into my life. One of my dad's best friend, he stepped in and, you know, taught me to shoot, took me hunting. I lived with him. Um, that, that was pretty much where I stayed if I wasn't at home, um, you know. And I had, lot, I had a lot of good friends and stuff. So, um, you know, it was it was challenging but um you know my mom both my mom and dad's family is very very strong-willed very independent um you know they're not going to take a handout um you know and it, it's it's interesting like looking back like i always felt spoiled you know i felt like i had lots of stuff because of how much my mom gave even then when you look at it you're like wait a minute you had every excuse to go on welfare or, Mm-hmm. you know, mope or drink or whatever. And she didn't do that, man. And she, even on the – she worked all like that during the week, and then on the weekend she's, like, driving kids, driving the church bus, picking kids up, taking them to oh, wow. church, you know what I mean? Like, she's always giving, you know, just amazing human being. I had I had um, her sisters um, from South Florida moved out west. My, mm-hmm. my grandpa um, – my mom's dad – um, bought a restaurant in Colorado so I had ended up with family out west my mom's goal was to get us out of Cedar Key you know she mm. she knew the culture she knew if you didn't leave like you, never, yeah, you were never yeah you're never gonna leave so you know during the summertime she'd save money buy us a one-way ticket to Montana to go live with my cousins mm. you know so most of my childhood in the summertime once baseball was over she'd buy that ticket ship me out of Cedar Key mm. send me out west and so yeah you know, I look back and I'm like yeah we didn't have a whole lot but I grew up on the water. Mm-hmm. I grew up fishing. I had I, most of my summers. I spent in Montana riding horses. Mm. Um, you know, my 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 uncle uh, lived out there. He was a helicopter pilot. My mom, uh, my aunt, ran a catering business. She um, uh, had a catering service for forest service workers. So when mm-hmm. the guys were out on a fire, she'd pull her truck in there and cook for everybody. Mm-hmm. And so we would help her out with that. I mean, so I just. Unbelievable experiences for people that, for the most part, didn't have a whole lot. Yeah. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I've been I've been places I should have never been. I've seen things I shouldn't have never been able to see just because they valued what was important and insta- instilled, you know, work ethic. And just, like, I would say one thing about my family is, like, they just have a passion for life and love of people. And, like, if you just find something – you know, to apply that to, you can go, you can do great things. And I look, I look at my cousins now, I'm on my, my parents' side of the family, Well on my dad's side, but nobody's, nobody's been to college. You know, I didn't graduate. I'm, I, I, I've been to college. I went the I went four years. Mm-hmm. Nobody has been to college. They're all successful. Mm-hmm. All of them, mm-hmm. because they all found something. I got a cousin that's a chef in Seattle, James Beard nominated chef. She's a freaking beast. Her older brother was a professional cyclist for a couple years. Figured out he wasn't gonna make it like to the Tour de France and all that stuff. He wasn't gonna be super lucrative with it, so he started a guiding service, and runs uh, guided rides. He's got a house in Arizona. He does guided rides all over Montana, California, Spain, Italy, like. Uh, his older brother is a Forest Service worker. Been in Forest Service forever. He was, you know, um, he wasn't a smoke jumper, but he was like a like on hotshot team or whatever. He does control burns in the Everglades. Like my my uncle, his two sons, like one of them's a cowboy, does like raining. You know, he's a, he he like trains horses. I mean, I can just go on and on and on mm. what they do, just because of like the way they approach life. Yeah. So.
1: And you attribute a lot of that to how you grew up. Oh, 100%. Just the experiences. Yeah,
2: find find a passion and just dive into it. You know what I mean? I mean,
0: knowing you over the years, I can definitely tell, like, that your family, their mindset and everything had a huge impact on you. Yeah. Um, And just the way that you approach life and approach just from, you know, hanging out with you. Um, and it's pretty amazing. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean,
2: like you, you could, you could be, your dad could be a CEO of a company and you'd be country club people and you know, you got, you went to college and it was in a fraternity and those are all great things. You know what I mean? But like, I would rather, I would rather, in, instead of having that and, and that has value, you know, the, how to operate in the business world, yeah. you know, how to deal with money, how to like, whatever, there, there's all... Things that obviously have value, but I would prefer the other way. I would prefer core values, mm-hmm. install yes. passion and hard work, and then you can apply them to anything. Yep. I mean, I don't care if you're a busboy. You know, like because those those things are more rare.
0: Yeah. Oh, they're definitely rare nowadays. I mean, and that's, that's what I was about to say. I think that mindset is has dissipated. You know, over the past two decades of. Having having core values, having standards and sticking to them and then applying a strong work ethic into whatever you're gonna do. Yeah, um, I, I feel like not to, I don't wanna go down a negative tangent, but I just feel like that's that's a lost art nowadays. Um, you know, everybody wants them everybody wants what they want
1: now. Right and without working for it. Yep. Um, are which you, are you kidding me? The millennials today have the best work ethic. Than any other, <laughs>
2: I will say, man, I got some kids that work at the coffee yeah. shop. There, there's we give them a hard time, but there, there's yeah. some great kids out there. Uh, but overall, there, there's definitely a divide in mindset. Um, there's super, super high achievers, and then there's yeah. the other way.
0: But I would say, you know, I, I think that everybody that's listening can agree with that sentiment. You know, that there is a there is a divide between the generations, um, you know, I, I see it just raising my own kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the the due diligence is on our part to apply, like, that strong work ethic or, mm-hmm. or try to apply that strong work ethic into them, you know. You know, I think they they bring a lot to the table, these millennials. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they're 100%. a thousand times smarter than we are when oh my it comes to technology. They can run circles around us, right? Yeah. And you're like, dude, I wish I had that. Uh, but at the same time, you can apply – what you grew up with onto them be like hey you can take all this technology and everything that you know but also apply
1: this work ethic to it and you'll be unstoppable
0: right
2: you know 100 percent.
0: yeah
1: so keep keep going we yeah so we here with you were sent out to montana yeah right and you would you would have those summers was it right yeah summers. summers And then you would come back to Cedar Key. Yeah. So yeah.
2: So I'd go out, stay six, eight weeks, whatever the summer was. And then my eighth grade year, um, my mom didn't want me to come home. She wanted me to stay. Um, My cousins started going to this small Christian school. Um, I was uh, me and my cousins were taking care of my uncle's horses as well as uh, one of his buddies um, that had. He was a dentist and he had about ten horses. We were taking care of his horses. We rode. Mm Twice a day, almost every day. Um, I was really getting into to, to horseback riding, and I just loved, you know, I just loved that culture and, mm-hmm. you know, being on the farm and stuff like that. Um, so I ended up staying my eighth grade year. I stayed out there the full year. And it was a struggle, you know, mm-hmm. being from a really, really small town. Uh, even, you know, Missoula, Montana, is not big. But to me, it was the big city. And and the school we went to wasn't <laughs> that big, but to me it was like it was like you know like going to a bigger school and yeah. meeting new people, you know you you get like uh, institutionalized in a town where you literally know every person, mm-hmm. you know I mean you know everything you're every you got sixteen kids in your class, ten to three of them you know what I mean yeah. like <laughs> you know so leaving that there's a, there's a safety net in that and leaving that was 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 tough for me it was but it, it was good for me uh came back um wanted to come home got really bad homesick uh came back home and my sister ended up transferring inland to chiefland high school which is about 30 miles inland it's between cedar key and gainesville and uh so i got home and i followed her to gainesville uh or, i'm sorry to uh to chiefland and that was my um my first opportunity to play football cedar key didn't have a football team because it was such a small school we just played baseball and basketball Base, bas, uh, baseball is my my primary sport mm-hmm. and um went up there and you know was like you know i'm gonna give this football thing a try never played before <laughs> you know um gave it a shot i was I've always i was always a big kid you know what i mean so um started playing football and immediately fell in love with it Mm-hmm. my freshman year, I played all three sports, baseball, basketball, and football. And it was cool because, like, you know, being a Cedar Key, you're outside all the time. You know, like we played pickup games at the park, you know, playing at my buddy's house. You know, it was always me and my buddy Sean Campbell versus his two older brother – or his older brother and – his cousin mm. they were like they're both like six three and like five years older than us and they just beat the shit out of us <laughs> and i don't know why it was always me and sean versus those two they just beat the hell out of us you know what i mean but um so i mean like going to a bigger school like i was you know i'd played a bunch of ball yeah. you know and i didn't know how to play football but when we played football in cedar key it was like this giant field with sand spurs and it was like kids from you know 10 to 18 mm-hmm. you know 22 kids on a team no sidelines you know what i mean like you just had to fend for yourself these kids are rough you know what i mean so you get like ran over by high school kids when you're like fifth grade you know what i mean like so i'm like dude we get pads like this is awesome (laughs) you know what i mean like wait y'all don't have sand spurs on this field this is freaking great i love this you know i get to hit people with my face mask like it's awesome you know what i mean so um yeah, my freshman year I played all three sports and just fell in love with football. Got you know, football. And then if you played football, you had to be on the weightlifting team. So uh started working out. And um I would like when I was a freshman in high school, I was like six one, like one eighty. Mm-hmm. And then my sophomore year, I like shot up. I was like six three, like two twenty mm-hmm. and was like learning like how to play. It was getting it was kind of goofy. You know, you go through those those adolescent years yeah. where you're like, you know, kind of goofy, you couldn't really ran, I ran right. like heel to toe, you're you know, morphing
0: into a man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It like, ran around
2: like a baby giraffe or whatever. And then my sophomore year, I like figured it out, mm. you know, and I like kind of came into my own, started getting a little better. And then my junior year, I was like, two, I was like two fifty five. Was like working out a bunch. You know, we worked uh, all the boys, um, our summer jobs. We we worked in the fields. We threw watermelons, so we'd we'd throw watermelons. And, um, and then go to the weight room, dragging tires and pushing my head coach's truck around the parking lot Mm. and like working out. So like, you know, like tough kids, you know what I mean? And then, and then, you know, you put that with, you know, I was big and could run and we had, um, we had, uh, we didn't have a lot of kids on the team. It was like Mm -hmm. 22 kids on the team, but like half of them could play, you know, we had, Mm. Um, you know, I don't know, man, we're just a rough group and, uh, ended up winning state. Um, had a bunch of sacks that year. Um, like kind of, that kind of put me on the map as a, as a, a an actual like recruit. Cause I didn't think you could actually like go anywhere. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you start getting letters, University of Florida shows up to your practices. I feel like, Holy cow. You know, it's
1: like, is <laughs> the recruiters coming out there and watching you play.
2: Yeah. Through- so. <clears throat> my junior year <coughs> started getting a lot of letters and then the recruiting process i forgot when it all started you know what i mean they start calling and all stuff and um university of florida was the first school to, first school to offer me a scholarship i was back in the spur days and uh but i want to get out of florida i wanted something different um you know so I, I hated the recruiting process i hated i don't like i just don't like i don't like bullshit you know what i mean like i like i can kind of see through like when people are like just saying things to sam and like the whole recruiting process they're just telling you how great you are and oh you're gonna do this for us and, mm-hmm. but i remember i went to an unofficial <laughs> visit with florida state and it was just me and then there was the defense coordinator mickey andrews at the time and my recruiting coordinator and we were, like watching film and that was back in like florida state's heyday you know they just won a national championship and uh i think it was 99 and um and they, uh, they they had all these good d and They just uh, – P Boulware and Raynock Wilson and uh, Andre Wadsworth just left. Corey Simon was still there. All these guys played in the NFL for a long time. And they're like – I'm watching film. There's like no white dudes on the team. And they're like, oh, yeah, you're going to be our next great pass rusher. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm going to be a tight end, bro. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're going to move me to offense. You know what I mean? But, uh, so, I ended up going to Alabama. Uh, when it, I, Alabama was just cool to me, you know, because they their jerseys weren't – Weren't flashy, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? They had a really cool history. Um, And I just, I want to get out of the state. I just, I just want to try something different. So, end up uh, going, picking the University of Alabama and going there. Yeah. So,
1: and then you played all four years at Alabama.
2: Yeah. So, um, Alabama was interesting for me because this is another step, you know, Chiefland's bigger than Cedar Key by Mm -hmm. a long shot, but it's still just 2A school, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, played all, small rural schools and um, small private schools around the state. And uh, we were good, but I'd never – I'd thought I'd played against good talent. And then, um, you know, I, I get to – get to. well, actually, I went to a, a summer camp and I thought I was like – I thought I was a stud. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I thought I was – Well,
0: coming from a small,
2: small – Small town, school, yeah, yeah big fish in a small yeah. pond, you know. And I'm just comparing myself to other kids in the area. I'm like, that guy sucks. That guy sucks. I'm better than all these kids. I go to a summer camp at Alabama and there's a thousand kids there. Probably a hundred of them are getting recruited. And these kids that are getting recruited are like studs. And I remember <laughs> I remember my first <laughs> my first a, a visit, they paired me up with this kid that was from Central High School in Tuscaloosa. He was an offensive lineman. He was like six six, like three fifty. He was huge. Jeez. So this five star recruit and they paired me up with him. So I'm walking around with this kid. Every coach, every recruit, everybody knew who he was. Everybody wanted to talk to him. He had his coach with him. He had his buddies with him, and it was just me. Mm-hmm. So they're all coming up, like, hugging on him and, like, talking to him. Nobody said a word to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and I, my, my position coach back in chief on Tommy's – because I, I played offense as well. We went both ways, and some of the schools were recruiting me for offense. And he was like, make sure that you find out before you leave that recruiting trip, make sure you find out what position you're recruiting him for if you want to play defense. You want to go to Alabama if they want you to play tight end or want you to play guard or whatever. Make sure you find out. So I was like was like chomping at the bit to ask a question, you know, mm-hmm. who, what you're recruiting for. But nobody would talk to me. They just wanted to talk to this <laughs> dude. Yeah. I never get a recruiting coordinator who comes over and he's walking up to us and I get all excited, ready to ask my question, and he just – Skips right past me, goes to the big kid, mm. talking to him, dapping him up, you know, hugging on him, telling him how great he is or whatever. And he goes to walk off. I was like, oh, coach, 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 before you leave. I was like, I just got to ask, like, what position are you recruiting me for? And he's like, I don't know. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> I was oh. like, oh. Just, just oh. deflated, you know what I mean? I was like, oh, my name's Jarrett. I'm from Chief of Florida. He was like, send me some tape. I'll let you know. Yeah. So I sent him some tape when I got home, and they offered me a scholarship. Oh, oh, oh.
1: So so so, did that kid get to make it to the NFL? I don't remember what happened to him. I we don't got, know where we he we got to figure that out. Yeah.
2: There's a lot of dudes along the way that just don't pan out.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, you know, for whatever reasons.
1: Through your four years, and I mean, I played, like, I don't know, two games in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, But through those four years, how much better did you get, like, in so, college? So
2: I would say that that was the most important thing about my whole career is – um i got better every year mm-hmm. and so and i had a w- interesting path in the fact that you know i'm naturally like right now i'm like 260 you know that i was 260 when i was in high school You know, but back in in those days, it was like everything was get bigger. Everything, you know, know, that was back, oh, get up in the middle of the night, drink, you know, a couple glasses of milk and a a protein shake and eat a peanut butter sandwich and go back to bed. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) just as much weight as possible. And, you know, I like to eat. And so when I got to college, I was like, I got to get bigger, I got to get bigger, I got to get bigger, you know, like whatever. So I was like eating a ton and trying to get as big as I could. And I tell tell kids that's one of my things that I do, um, you know, because kids that ask today that are going through the process, I'm like, just f- find your natural way. Don't push your body outside of what it's meant to be. You know, your God-given build and, a- and talent. Don't, for- you know, these kids that just eat a ton yeah. and they swell up and they can't move. Like, always stay mobile. And, and it-, it ended up working out for me. So when I got to Alabama, my freshman year, I reported I was 17 years old going into training camp or doing, you know, the summer workouts and then going into training camp. I was like, 275, and they tried to pay me at defensive end, but I was a little sluggish, couldn't really move. They ended up moving me inside. Um, that didn't work out because I was a little too small and didn't really understand the technique. Had, hadn't – because I played 2A ball when used to playing against 320-pound dudes. Mm-hmm. You know, so they ended up moving me back out. And I had a I, – I was productive and did well, um, but just – it took me a while. But the, that was – back to your question, the one thing about – my college career and then in the NFL years, I was constantly ascending. I was constantly making more and more plays and um, and being more productive. And um, I didn't miss any games in, in college. I only missed seven games in 12 years in the NFL. So I was on the field all the time. And I was always finding ways. Even, even when I got older and I was over 30 and my abilities were slowing down like my brain was sharper and i could react to things quicker with my eyes and i was always finding a way to to get better where i feel like a lot of people whether they can't handle the success or they can't handle the failure they plateau or they get or they get hurt you know what i mean some guys get hurt and they go they'll tear the acl and they have an eight-month recovery and they get back and mentally they can't you know, they can't
0: get back. To where yeah. They
2: were. Yeah. They just can't get back in their their career ends. I never had that injury. I never, even when I was hurt, I still played. And so I, I just never, I never had that time away. I was always, I've had a bad game. Um, I was able to, to, to handle it and why was it bad, you know, and kind of, you know, compartmentalize, you know, what happened mm-hmm. and would always come back better if I had a, a good game, um, I could, I could always humble myself, you know what I mean? Because you watch film, it's never as good as you think. It's never as bad as you think. I'm sure it's the same thing you do. Yeah. Some op, and you're like, dude, I jumped over this building and I did this. <laughs> and then you go back and you like, yeah, it didn't really happen like that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's always a superhero story. Yeah. Back. Always.
2: Yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, but uh, my college, <clears throat> excuse me, my college career, I would say the main thing it did to prepare me for the NFL was that it showed me what real leadership was, showed me what bad, bad people were bad, like bad, bad leaders. Um, and it, and it, and it showed me that like, um, that you cannot rely on, uh, you got to rely on yourself. You got, so like my freshman year, we were really good. We were 10 and two playing the orange bowl, played Tom Brady, um, in the orange bowl. Um, uh, we won the SEC championship, um, so we, you know, had a great year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was supposed to be like a rebuilding year. The next year we started, we were number three in the country. We go out and open the, C- the season at UCLA, and we get our absolute ass kicked. They mm. beat the shit out of us and, you know, overhyped. And the year before, we we had a bunch of seniors. Um, a bunch of really good seniors. Sean Alexander and Chris Samuels played in the NFL for a long time. Cornelius Griffin. We had all these dudes that were like very vocal, like handled themselves well. My sophomore year, we had another crop of seniors that were totally different. You know, um, you know, we're not tough guys. You know, very selfish in a lot of ways. There, there were some good, good. There were some good guys in that mixed in there, but the v- more vocal guys were not good dudes we ended up going 3 and 8 that year. Fans hated us. You know, I had like a 0.0 some GPA like like it was bad, bad man. Year, bad. Right. Like I hated it. I almost transferred. I almost I was like, dude, I'm going back to Montana. I'm going to mm. be a freaking cowboy. Screw this, you know what I mean? And uh but halfway through the year, I just remember saying like fuck these dudes, man. Like I'm I'm going to handle my business and do my thing. I am going to play so freaking hard. That like you're not gonna you know yeah. what I mean? like and I'm like saying this in my my own mind and I'm thinking like just fuck these guys you know these guys are losers man yeah and because of that and and you got to remember at the time like I'm a nobody I'm I I started that year just because the dude I was backing up towards Achilles in the in the opening in the in the opening game and so we ended up being a starter and made the most of it I mean dude tears his his Achilles I come in the next series. And hit the quarterback and knock him out of the game. Oh, wow. And ended up not matter because they beat us anyways. But like, I took advantage of. It. I had seven sacks that year. I was super productive. Um, and like, I was kind of like a. I was I was not a partier. I didn't I didn't really drink a whole lot at the time. I, I wasn't like a I wasn't like a funny kid. I, I wouldn't say I was like a popular guy on the team. But like, when I stepped on that field, like I was all about it. Like, mm. I'm, you're not gonna hurt me. Like. You're like you know what I mean there's nothing you can you're not gonna stop me like I'm not I'm not quitting. You were driven. I was driven yeah. in, in in my own mind. Yeah. like nobody else nobody saw else. that. But what I learned was through that situation that I'm a nobody who's playing like this and is being productive, all of a sudden, I come back my junior year in my mind, I'm still a nobody and all of a sudden like people are like paying attention. young guys are like looking up to you. I get nominated as team captain my junior year. Oh, wow. Going from a from a nobody that didn't go out and party, wasn't like a cool kid, wasn't at the frat parties, you know, like whatever and then my junior year then I'm got thrust into like being a team leader and um, and then carried that through my senior year. And so I, I learned, like, if you handle yourself a certain way, if you, like, have a certain demeanor, whether it's on the field, off the field, like, whatever, like, people are going to notice. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. And so there's there's been some two-time captains since then, but I was the first two-time captain of the University of Alabama just because of that. You know what I mean? Mm. So, um, you know, but had a – you know, I would not say a good – I would say a volatile career. You know, it was, like, a lot of trials, a lot of, you know, like – like I don't look back fondly on my college years I would say that but what it did do was prepare me mentally for the NFL for at, sure
0: at what point during your college career was the NFL in the picture mm.
2: well I mean so everybody everybody um everybody goes through that process you know what I mean I would say to put it in your terms it would be like as if every seal um every SOCOM seal if they – that is just a natural progression to be there for four years and then you get sent to green team and some mm-hmm. make it and some don't. You know what I mean? That's what – whether you're – whether you're never started a game, you're going to go through that selection yeah. process. You know what I mean? And, like, because you're so naive about the NFL – everybody th- i'll never forget we had a uh, this dude come and spoke to us he was talking talking to us about the NFL and he was like raise your hand if you think you're going to play in the NFL and like 80% <laughs> of the dudes raised like i have to walk on so i like, had their hands raised you know what i mean <laughs> So everybody thinks they're going yeah. it would be as if every seal thought they were going to go to teal to uh, to, 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 uh, to or whatever that, yeah. you know what i mean it's 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 just different you know what i mean but but very few do so um, I always had that goal in mind. I wanted to play in the NFL. Um, I thought I could, but you don't know until you get there. You know what I mean? You don't know until yeah. you until you go through that process. So
0: Well, so was it during your senior years when you found out like, hey, this is definitely a possibility for me
2: yeah i mean there's all these rating scales and people telling you stuff and nobody really knows shit you mean but like um you don't know until you start going to the combine i did not have a good combine but i I had a good pro day um and so the combine is where i forgot how many guys go 280 300 dudes what is it so it's it's like a the combine is a four-day event it's staggered when they bring you in by position group. So I was a D lineman, so they're going to bring all the defensive linemen in, and you're going to be there together for four days, all the guys in college football that are a prospect to get drafted. Mm. Um, I cannot remember how many are there. So there's, there's probably 150 D linemen there, you know what I mean? And then the DBs will come in, and then the receivers, and then the quarterbacks. And so you're there for four days, and it's, it starts out with a medical – they're going to take you to med board and they're going to look at every injury you've ever had. Mm -hmm. They're going to do all these like flexibility tests and you you do these psychological tests and, um, you know, different types of, you know, like admin type goofy Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, And then you do um, your interviews. You go through an interview with different teams. Mm. um, And then it, it finishes with um, an on the field, uh, just base basic athletic training. So like you're gonna do, you're gonna do a forty. You can do a vert jump, a vertical jump. You're gonna do a broad jump. You're gonna do a five ten five cone run, um, and all these are timed. And then they're gonna put you in the list and look how you stack up athletically against all the other guys. Mm. Um, you know, I didn't test well at all. I did I did well in my interviews. I did well in my medical uh didn't run real well. Um thought I did. <laughs> mm. Thought I was flying. I <laughs> get back. I had been hanging out with this dude. He was, he played at uh at Temple. He was from Jersey. He's funny as hell. And I remember I ran my 40 and I came back and I felt like I was screaming. I was like, bro, was that good? And he looked at me and he was like, Yeah, it was all right, man. I don't know. <laughs> he <ended up> running <laughs> yeah, like, buddy. Yeah, yeah, I <laughs> yeah, ended up running like a five flat, you know, which is not good. And um, you know, but then so after the combine Then you'll have a schedule, they call it a pro day, when everybody comes to your school. Mm -hmm. You know, all the coaches and scouts and all the people come to your school and they do individual workouts, similar to smaller version of the combine. Mm -hmm. And I did well there. And ended up getting drafted uh, in the fourth round, um, the 109th pick to the Baltimore Ravens. So uh, I thought it was going to be a second-round pick. Uh, just because I was, like, looking at my stats, comparing those stats to other players. But I didn't realize, like, in the NFL, like, they're looking for a mold of a player. They're looking for, like, a certain, like, structure of a, of how a guy should be built and different. And and those athletic matrix, like, how, how much you bench, how much you run, like, yep. all those are applied to that build. And I did not fit that build. No. I the production... You know, I had the, the leadership qualities and all the things you're looking for, but I didn't fit the mold to be a top, top pick. So, but, you know, looking back, I mean, I got picked where I should have got picked. I mean, it was, a, I got picked in a great spot for me. So I had time, you know, first round picks, second round picks, you know, they have a, they've got a lot of, um, uh, you know, they, they expect a lot out of them early, you know and i needed time to grow i needed time to to yeah. to to learn and um you know i was i was i needed i needed i needed that developmental time so
1: how long were you in the nfl i played 12 years
2: wow yeah i was with the ravens for 9 um and then i went to the san diego chargers for 3
0: How was how was that feeling um uh, i mean i can only imagine Stepping into the Ravens gym or locker room, whatever the first day, you're surrounded by these just like giants.
2: Yeah, Yeah, man, it was that was that was was extremely overwhelming, dude. So, like, I remember your first day, they bring you in and pick you up at the airport. All the rookies, all the rookies are coming in. And uh, Terrell Suggs was the first, was our first round pick that year. Um, (laughs) It's so stupid looking back on it now, but you know, the first round picks are like, you know, they're like the guy, they're like superstars, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he's already, he, I remember, I'll never forget, the first time I saw him, he had a New York jersey, uh baseball jersey on mm-hmm. with Sizzle on the back. Sizzle was his nickname. And when I got in the van with him, we were getting in a van, they were picking us up at the airport. We had to wait for all the other guys to land. So we're sitting in the van for like an hour waiting for everybody to get there. And he had like a, a DVD player and he was like watching a movie, but the, it wasn't a movie, it was like this dude talking uh-huh. and I, th- <laughs> so stupid looking back on it now, but I thought he had like some sort of new age, like phone that he could like, <laughs> he was doing it every- I thought he was FaceTiming, but <laughs> this was like way before FaceTime and I'm just like, dude, what kind of devices, is- what is this thing? Are you from the future? You- yeah. I'm like, this guy, how do you get this? You know what I mean? It's just, it's- it was a DVD, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I'm so frigging dumb. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so they, they take you to the facility uh, you get fitted all your pads, your helmet, your cleats, all your stuff. And then um, they get you to, they get you your room, you stay in a hotel. And then the next morning, they get you up at like four in the morning and you've got medical. And so we go to our medical check, med board, like whatever you want to call it. And then then they bring us back to the facility where all the vets are there. It's the first day of like mini camp. And I remember we're walking down the hall and somehow ended up being first one in line. And they're they're having a team meeting. So all the vets are in there and the door we're walking in is at the front of the front of the room. So all the vets are gonna be facing us. And I'm walking to the door and I stop and I like turn around, look behind me. I'm like, yo, go. And everybody's like, uh uh-uh. uh. You go. <laughs> and I remember standing there like, like scared to go in the room. And somebody like, come on, man, go. And they like push me. And I go in there and it's like, you know, Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, you know, Jamal Lewis like Jonathan Ogden like all these yeah. and they of course start just heckling us throwing stuff at us and getting the back, and they set you up you know what I mean like and one of them will be nice hey 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 man come here hey come over here and sit with me like whatever and they'll be like sit right here and they know that one of the other vets just got up and went to get a water or go take a piss or like whatever <laughs> no 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 sit right here and they're like oh thanks man oh, I found a buddy and all of a sudden here comes some 330 10 year vet like <laughs> what are you doing get in my out of, seat get out smack you in the back and get out of my seat rook get in the back <laughs> of the room you know what i mean like just set you up you know what i mean but um the cool thing was Rex Ryan was my d-line coach he's like coolest dude I think i've ever met he was so much he was so much fun um you know you know and i had some vets that like that were Later round, the Ravens were interesting because they they had a bunch of superstars, you know, Ray Lewis and all these guys, bigger-than-life personalities. But the core guys were all, like, late-round picks, like, rough dudes that mm. just had, like, a certain, like – Grit. T- yeah, grit about them, you know what I mean? So, like, when they saw you were like that, they were, like, kind of take you in. So, like, it didn't fu- it didn't take long for me to, like – find my group and like feel comfortable on the team Mm -hmm. and uh but they they were rough man i it it was interesting like from a leadership standpoint you know when i was in college it was like everybody was working to get to a certain status to where they didn't have to work hard you know what i mean like yep i'm gonna achieve a certain status point whether you've earned it or not to where i don't have to go to early workouts and i can you don't can. have to practice hard. I can take practices off. I can coast. I can coast because I'm me. Yeah. I'm great. I'm awesome. The Ravens were the exact opposite. Like the vets, the superstars, the guys making all the money, the guys were like the cool cars in the parking lot. They worked the hardest. They set mm. the bar. Like they, wow. And they were like – you know, and I, I didn't really realize how much different we were until I went to another team. Or, or you, you hear things, guys mm. that would come in from other teams and would talk about the culture at their organization – like our culture at the Ravens was like, um, they were like almost like a warrior culture, you know. And like, so we called Ray's like sort of nickname, he was like Achilles. That's what we call it. Like, oh, that's Achilles, you know what I mean? You know, but like, and it sounds kind of goofy, but we really viewed him as that, you know, yeah. like he is the guy, he is the alpha male. Yep. Like, you're like, there's, that's what we'd say. There's one Ray Lewis and you ain't him. So, mm-hmm. He can do what he wants. He can act the way he wants. You know what I mean? But you better, like, reach his standard of play and his standard of, like, the way he prepared for a game and his, like, middle mindset. Like, we didn't go out to eat. We didn't go out to eat before the games. You know, like, like every game was like war. Was like war. And, you know, and I know, like, when you talk about, like, stuff, some people are like, oh, you guys aren't actually a war. But, oh, but like, what you have to understand is, like – It's a mindset. It's a thing. mindset. Yeah. Like, it is a mindset. Like, I am going out there to destroy you, and you better destroy me. And you might. I mean, I don't know. But and even though it's just a game, it's, it's – you know, you get pads, and people are watching, and there's cheerleaders and all that. But, like, our mindset was, like – I am leaving it on the field, you know. You know, our, we we had a saying it was you know it's, it comes from Spartan 300, like come back on your shield, you yeah. know, come back with it or on it, and and that's that's like I it might be a little bit goofy, but I believe that like that's no,
0: that's I mean, but that you can apply that mindset not just to football or special operations, you apply that to everything, like anything you do, you're going to leave it all out there on the field. 100. I know you say you know it's just a game; it might be just a game to the people watching or the people that don't play football, Um, but for you guys, it's not. It's right. Like, this is my life, and I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to give it every inch yeah. that I have. Um, whether I win or lose, at least I can walk off that field knowing yeah. that I went to war and I gave everything I got. It, and
2: it, it's, it was interesting, like because you had asked a lot, well, why did this guy that was a first-round pick from Ohio State not make it, but that, that safety who was a seventh-round pick from Nickel State, how do you have a 12-year career that didn't make any sense? How did they miss him in college? How did he not end up at Ohio State? And you're like – what he learned at Nickel State and where he grew up, a kid grew up in the ninth ward and went and played at some Division Two rough school, better prepared him for the NFL than the first round pick who had his bags packed for, for him, had a you know half a billion dollar facility where they folded his socks for him. Like, yeah. that dude is not going to make it. Now, some of them come from that environment, and they become great pros. But they have to find that mindset because, like, I don't care how athletic you are. I don't care how big and strong you are. Somebody is going to kick your ass. Yeah, and like, if
0: you're not used to getting your ass kicked, 100%. then you're in deep trouble. I'll tell you, like, we, you know, in BUDS, the SEAL training, we have guys show up that are these top-level athletes, uh, you know, football players. You know, and these they're giants when they yeah. show up. You're like, dude. And I remember, you know, when I formed up uh, in my class, there was a couple of those there, and I was looking at them like, holy shit! Like, yeah. I don't belong here. Yeah, like, this guy is going to make it, and they're the first ones to quit. Yeah, because they've been treated their whole life like top athletes, and like told how great they are, um, which they are. They're they're gifted, but just like you said, and Buds is very good at it. They're going to find your weakness, expose it. and yeah. They're going to see how you handle it, yeah. And so a lot of those guys can't handle that. And then you have these 130 pound, you know, dudes who you can beat them all day long, and they're never going to go anywhere because they've been beat their whole life. Yeah, that's all they know. In that small, that's mm. yeah. all they know. Yeah.
2: You know, there is no it's there. There is no like perfect science to create that. There is no, you know, I know now most guys that I look back on that had long careers. You know, the vast majority of them come from single family you know, they had some sort of, like, struggle, upbringing, you know, even if they did come from a home life, they had a family that instilled, like, toughness and worth work ethic, or they learned it through some other environment, whether they were a wrestler or whether they, you know, whatever. Some of them just learn it from mindset off the street, you know, I mean, I'm not going back to where yeah, I grew up from you know those are some of the toughest dudes I've I've ever been around. Is some of the dudes that grew up in the worst neighborhoods like, like you're gonna have to kill me because I'm not going back there. Yeah, like
0: they're coming from the bottom.
2: They're coming like from the. bottom. I bo- don't want to go back. Yep, not I'm not going back. And uh, some of my some of my favorite teammates were dudes. They were dudes from that from that environment. Um, you know, but the guys that that have long careers to me, like they're all like very similar to all my, all my special. You know, my you know my buddies that have been to combat. Like they're all interesting guys. They all have a story. They've all overcome something. Yep. They've like nothing's been given to them. And they might not be perfect. You know what I mean? No, <laughs> far, nobody. Far is. from it. Yeah. Far from is. it. Like some of them are assholes and some of them are drunks and like whatever. But <laughs> like they to me, they're all interesting guys you know what i mean they've they've and like my my nfl buddies like they've got great stories you know nick hardwick one of my best friends this day i played with in san diego you know this dude like was a high school wrestler um fairly good not not like a top tier high school wrestler and he goes to purdue to do like rotc and he's just kind of a knucklehead, you know, kind of fun loving, try anything. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah, he's great. And like his roommate was like, hey, you want to try out for the football team? And he's like, eh, yeah, why well not? Let's try out for the football team. He goes out for the football team and just figures it out. He just goes out there. I think they put him a D line first. He sucked at that, moved him to offense. Well, now he can get in there and kind of wrestle, you know. He's holding everybody, but he's, he's holding his own. And in three years, he becomes. A starter, all Big Ten, and then drafted third year, third round in the, in, to the San Diego Chargers, and has an eleven-year career. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, just has a a will that you cannot break, and like I don't, he's just one of the most fascinating people that I know. He um, really
0: is. Yeah, he, he, I, I mean, I follow him. Yeah, I mean, we I met him. We went out fishing mm-hmm. uh, one time, and I got to talk to him. He is a, a fascinating individual, yeah. and his whole. Mindset and just how positive he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see what, you know, the work he does. He does a lot with his kids, yep. uh, with the fitness aspect and the men- mental aspect, yep. which you can tell it paid dividends for him yeah. in his career. Yep. Um, so, yeah, he's he's phenomenal.
2: Yeah, you know, but so all my favorite guys, most of the guys, they, they, you know, did they have a level of athletic, athletic ability? Like, yeah, yeah, they did. You know what I mean? But all of them had like an edge or like something that just set them apart
1: grit yeah yeah definitely yeah,
2: grit in there definitely grit sure. yeah. you know and the soft ones they better be athletic yeah you know what I mean if you're soft in the nfl like you know you better you better do yeah. something great <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you better be able to run fast
0: so you were with the ravens for how long
2: yeah so i played for the ravens from it was drafted in 03 and i was there um till 2011 okay my free agent year and uh was hoping to retire Raven and just didn't pan out, told me to kick Rock, So <laughs> uh, San Diego gave me a home, uh, went out there on a four-year deal and played uh, three years. And I love my time in San Diego. You know, it was definitely a culture shift, you know, not only from like the city, they're polar opposites, you know, but the, just the team culture was, it was way more like – where I came from, the defense ran everything. That's where the goons were. That's that's you know that's they they set the bar, <laughs> they set the standard. We won all the fights in practice. Like we controlled everything, and then you get to San Diego, it was the offense it was like that. Offense had all the money. Wow. They had all the talent. Uh, they had some talent on defense, but nothing like the offense. And it was driven by Nick Hardwick and Phillip Rivers and and all these guys. And uh, it was it was different. Um, you know, it was more of a you know. Scoring a lot of points. If we scored 20 points, in Baltimore. We were thrilled. We we're like, this game's over. <laughs> and Baltimore or in San Diego is like way different. You know, yeah. they they trying to score a lot of points, and you know, but I would say even now, like my I have closer friends in San Diego, um, just because some of the connections I made out there. Um, you know, I mean, uh, the guys were like super cool because they were like really into their families um we're kind of through the partying phase we're more like yeah going to cookouts you know taking the kids to the park going to the beach going out to eat you know the partying days were kind of kind of done you know Mm. what i mean which is cool so i was able to make some really good connections had some great coaches and uh, i was devastated when baltimore didn't sign me back but looking back on it it worked out yeah worked out perfect you know
1: is san diego where you met your wife
2: no, uh, yeah, I been talking. I've been talking about her, yeah. So no, I met I met Anna um, my junior year in college. She's a small town Alabama girl. Uh, dated my junior and senior year, and then we got married right after my rookie year. Mm. Yeah, so we we uh, waited till we were um twenty nine when we had Molly Caroline, my oldest daughter. I've got two daughters now. Uh, Gracie was born my last year. Um we uh she's my game day baby. She was came two <laughs> weeks two weeks early. We were playing the um uh, uh playing Seattle and you know, in bed in the hotel and get a knock on the door at two in the morning. It's our security guy and I'm like, dude, what? And he's like, You gotta get to the hotel or you gotta get to the hospital. He's like, Your wife's in labor, so I jumped in my Jeep, flew to the hospital and uh, you know, she was in labor all morning. <laughs> it's like such a weird deal cuz like they they have uh they only have 45 man game rosters 53 guys on the on the roster so they have a group of guys that, that don't dress so they can put guys up and down So if a guys hurt yeah. or sick or whatever you just put him inactive for that particular game you're still on the roster of course but you're just not active for the game and you have to turn in your inactive list 2 hours before the kickoff and so they're calling me. They're like, Well, is she going to have the baby? I'm like, Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, they're like, Well, we need to know. We, we got to know by, you know, whatever it was, like 11 o'clock. And it's like 9 30. And they're like, Well, how dilated is she? I'm like, I'm not having this conversation with you right now. You know what I mean? Right like,
0: here, let me put it on FaceTime. So yeah. You can tell me. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just it's so funny. Like,
2: <laughs> thinking back. So she ended up coming. Uh, Grace Ann was born, like, right at kickoff. And we kicked our feet up and watched. We actually won the game, which was cool. You know but uh that's awesome yeah so it's it's cool you know Gracie's eight so that's like I can always keep track of how many years has been since I played football because I'm like how are you again man, it's been eight years damn you know it's been a long time you uh-huh. know what I mean so
0: there yeah I mean your family's awesome yeah I mean, they're they're his kids are like you' know athletes mm-hmm. like just you can tell they come from my an oldest man man yeah
2: my oldest one's rough mm. oh yeah feel feel sorry for whoever she starts dating one day. (laughs) Mm. I can tell you, Ryan, my youngest, uh, he has a little crush on her for sure. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Days are coming, man. Keep keep her away from him. I know, right? Mm. So
0: you you ended up uh, retiring out of San Mm -hmm. Diego. Yep. Um, What was the decision point for that?
2: So I watched guys – you know, I was in my 12th year – I watch guys stay too long and I watch guys their abilities diminish, injuries go up, and they would they would eke out two, three, some of them four years and just be shells of the player they were mm-hmm. before. And I remember I was a I was I like Mike Mike Vrabel, you know, they moved me an outside linebacker and Mike Vrabel was one of the players that I like to watch and you watch some of the things he did. And I remember we played Mike Vrabel when he was at Kansas City. It's like his thirteenth year in the NFL. We were playing in a playoff game in two thousand ten. And I remember just watching him just struggle to move. And our tight ends who weren't great blockers just just thrashing him. And I, I remember thinking like, I never want to be on that field if I if I can't be productive, if I if I can't defend myself, if I'm, you know, kind of like, you know, a prisoner in a, a limited body. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I was always like, you you know, probably a little red into it too much, like if I wasn't moving well and not running well, like, you, you know, it was like, do I need to retire? Like, whatever, you know what I mean? You know, but uh, I could probably have played uh, a couple more years, but um, we had moved to – so I should have said this, but we had a house in Tuscaloosa where I went to college that we bought in 2006, and we lived there in the off-season, trained at, the, at the Alabama's facility in the off-season from 2006 to 2010, and then in 2010, I was dying to move back to Florida. Miss Florida. Wasn't really fitting in with my buddies. Uh, I had some good friends, but just didn't fit into the culture at Alabama and was dying to get back to Florida. And so we end up – my wife is from Op, and she grew up vacationing in Destin. She's like, well, I live in Destin. And so we came down here one off season looking at houses in Destin and found Niceville. It's a little community on the the north side of the bay. And uh, I remember our real estate – I was like, what's this little community? We couldn't – we have a – Hard time finding a house that we really liked, and I was like, "What's this little community on the north side?" And she was like, "Oh, it's nice. Like the schools are really good, and the sports are are top notch." She was like, "But it's just rednecks and military. You don't want to live there." And I was like, it "Sounds perfect. You know I mean? like, <laughs> right up my alley. Yeah, it's great. You know." So we went over there and found a lot and uh, built a house in 2011. So from my last year with the Ravens, and, and then all three years with San Diego we would come home to niceville is where we live okay and then my oldest was starting kindergarten um uh, in 2015 um and one of my goals was to be around um a lot of the guys would like either homeschool or dual enroll or the mom would stay home because they had older kids they were like in like high school or middle or or elementary or middle school Mm -hmm. and so they would just go play and have an apartment and then they'd go home in the off season one of my goals is like i didn't want to move my kids i didn't want them to transfer schools i wanted once they went to school that they were there and that i can be involved in their life so it ended up just being perfect like i probably could have played another two years um but man i was ready um my oldest was about to start kindergarten we were loving we had met a lot of good friends and we're Getting kind of dug in in Niceville, I had hobbies outside of football. Um, I was ready to like dive into like what's outside of football, you know, and try something different. And so I was I was pretty excited when I when I retired, you know. So yeah. it, it wasn't a hard decision for me.
0: That's not, yeah. I mean, that sounds like the most mature decision. Yeah. As well, I mean, that's like the correlation again between that and like the Spec Ops community. I have plenty of friends, and I'm I put myself in this category too. Is like. You do get stuck in this like, I'm never going to leave and I'm gonna keep pushing myself right until I can no longer walk or Yeah. Um, and you know, that that mindset, it works while you're part of the team, I guess, because you're like, Yeah, I'm giving it my all, but then you gotta think the longevity is like yeah. what is this gonna do to my family? Does my family really wanna end up taking care of me at once I get out? Right. Uh, so, yeah, it's
2: – Yeah, the injuries are a huge thing. Yeah. And I I'd, I'd never missed a game. I had, had injuries, but didn't miss a game my whole – all my years with Baltimore. Um, and then I missed one game my first year with San Diego with a back injury. And then I missed, like, five my second year in 2013. Uh, broke my thumb, had surgery, missed two games. and I pulled a hamstring. Um, and then I tore my UCL on my elbow um and so i missed five games and that was the first time i'd ever missed any time and i was like oh my god and i most i think most guys would just be like eh, whatever you know it's just just injuries just sports but like it really i was like holy cow like am i getting old like am I something wrong with me like you know like it like kind of made me anxious to get it because i was i did not want to do what you said you know like you you stay too long and you get like become a a vegetable yeah you can't move your neck you can't you know your knees are shot and all that stuff like
0: so how was when you got out, uh, the transition process, going from being an NFL player yeah. now you're back here and stay
2: home civilian, stay-at-home
0: dad, stay at home dad yeah. family man? I mean, that has to be a huge change.
2: Yeah, so I thought I was ready for it, and I hit the ground running. So, you know, I played my first goal. I achieved my first goal of being an NFL player, and my second goal was I wanted to be like my dad. I wanted to be a fishing guide. So I immediately um, – uh went to took my license, get my captain's license. Um I'd been fishing quite a bit in the off seasons. Uh fished a bunch when I was home that year. I took the test that summer, uh, got my captain's license. I started um doing crossfit, lost a bunch of weight. I got down like 230. Um so I kind of hit it like through fitness and moving, mm-hmm. you know, like whatever, and got into crossfish, was fishing all the time. Uh that summer started a little guide service, was just kind of doing it on the side. Um, and I really I was really doing good um up until about the season started. And you know that pathlogs dog thing, you know, <laughs> we're like, you know, August rolls around and everybody's going off the training camp, yep, and your brain's going you telling you it's try- it's, it's time. time it's time. Yeah. What are you doing here? And I wasn't going. And so I did good through that spring and summer. And then about August, like, I started struggling, you know. Like, you know what? You don't have to get up early. Like, what do you got to get up early for? You know what I mean? So I started sleeping in. Sleeping in to me is like 730, you know. And um, what are you working out for? What are you – you're never going to have abs. Like, you're you're not going to – you don't have to, like, push anybody around. Like, you ain't got to work out. So – Uh, you know, fitness level started going down. Started drinking more, you know, and then like, just kind of getting lost in like, what is my purpose? You know, I'm doing things, but I'm just a hamster on a wheel. I'm not like, I'm not like giving back. I'm not like, you know, I'm I'm just kind of it's just all busy time. Yeah, and in the afternoons, I gotta have all this busy time where I keep myself going through the day, and then about three o'clock, sitting there, I'm like what did you really do today? You know what I mean? Like you didn't, you didn't accomplish shit. You know what I mean? So, you know, just kind of, and every year would get a little worse and a little worse. And, and I've done everything. I, mean, I do some real estate stuff with a buddy of mine. I've, I, I did some freelance scouting for the Ravens. I work pretty fairly close with their, um, with their, um, personnel department, you know, scouting guys for them, we writing reports for, for them. The Ravens have always been great to me. um, you know, and, and um, you know, but just no purpose, just kind of spinning my wheels. And then, like naturally, you know, at that time I'm like 37, 38 years old, in that midlife crisis thing. You start, you know, you hit about 35, and you're like, wait a minute, I'm 35. Another 35, I'm be wait, how old? Like wait, so hold on, tight. I'm clock's ticking here. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, what have you actually done? Like what do you, what are you gonna do? Are you just gonna like? Just, just do a bunch of push-ups the rest of your life. Yeah, you know coast. what I mean? Yeah. So you start kind of, you know, getting more and more depressed and like making bad decisions and, you know, just whatever, you know? So, um, I like in 2019, I was doing uh, radio for the Ravens, So I was like going up there, um, pretty much every week and like doing radio and then doing some scouting, you know, drinking a bunch and just, you know, just whatever my, I mean, I was in shape, but not really. And then um, I was like, "Dude, I got to get out of here! Like, screw it! Like, this is not me." I, I'm, you know, I'm 37, 38 years old, whatever I was at the time. You know, I'm like, D- "This is not a life. You're just, you're just a hamster on a wheel." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "I'm, you know, burning the ships. We're diving back into ball." And I accepted a full time job asked the Ravens. I was like, "Hey, can I come work for you guys?" And they're like, "Yeah, absolutely. Come mm-hmm. on." So, put my house on the market. Bought a house in Baltimore and I was moving my family. They were devastated. And I was like, nope, we're out of here. Like, we'll come back and try retirement again, you know, when I'm 50 or something. I was like, but this is all I know. This is what I'm good at. This is what I can like dive into. And I knew I could keep myself busy because that's all you do is work. And bought a house in Baltimore and was getting out and was going to sell my house in, in Niceville. And we closed on the house and, uh, what was it March 4th, 15th of 2020 and COVID kicked yep. off and the whole world stopped. And, um, you know, that time, like as bad as it was and as weird as it was and all the bullshit was great for me because mm. we didn't do anything. We, we sat at the house and we cooked uh, a buddy of mine. One of my best friends was on deployment. His wife and kids were essentially living with us. Mm. You know, they were were staying with us every day, and all we did was ride bikes and cook and arts and crafts and (laughs) boat rides, and we just, like, we just made the most of, like, just being home, and that was such, like, a healing process. Me and my wife, like, we were going through some stuff, and, like, we reconnected. And like it was, you know, COVID sucked. But there's a silver lining, I think, for everybody. And but there was a big silver lining in COVID for me. And ended up buying and selling that house in Baltimore without ever stepping foot in it, <laughs> stepping <laughs> a foot in it, which is crazy. Um, you know, and the 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 Ravens, they, were, they didn't that for that COVID year, like they didn't have any fans. You had to work from home. If I would have went up there, like I would have moved my family to. Up there to work at home. They wouldn't have gone to school mm. like it would have been an awful, awful move. Yeah. You know, so um, you know, so yeah, COVID was was great for me personally and for for me and my wife's relationship and just kind of like what's important, you know, and reconnecting with my kids and you know, all those things. Me and my daughter would we worked out together, you know. We Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, to her little workouts, and we'd go for runs, and you know, it was so cool, it was awesome, man. You know, what I mean, so
0: I think there was a lot of that during COVID. Yeah. I mean, I think either marriages got stronger mm-hmm. or marriages fell apart. That's right. Um, you know, I i have this very similar, um, obviously, I had just gotten out, right? Uh, and COVID hit not even a year into you know being retired, and and I, not a
2: normal retirement, by the way, no, definitely not a normal <laughs> one. Uh,
0: had a lot, a lot of stressors, but. In the, in the same fashion, I think COVID definitely helped me um, just because it forced me to stay at home. It forced me to be with my family. Um, and even though we struggled through it because I was still going through transition, it just made us that much closer and stronger. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, and like you said, there's a silver lining in everything. And yeah. That's how, that's how I look back on it. Yeah. Um, it was a big transformation time in my life as well. Yeah.
2: It was great, man. You know, I mean, it's weird to say that it was great because it wasn't, you know, but there's so much to learn from that, from that period of time. And I I wish that we would learn more from it. And I I tell people, people think I'm crazy when I say them. I'm like, dude, we need more COVID lockdowns, like for like a week, every three months. Mm. You know what I mean? Like nobody go anywhere. Nobody, nobody work. Nobody like, you just stay home and you cook and you make drinks and you enjoy your neighborhood, you know, because everybody, especially our age, everybody's in travel sports and you know, all the BS, you know, And, uh, you know, I'll probably get get a little hate for saying that, you know, because, like, (laughs) lockdown is such a political thing. But, Uh, like, the concept of it, of, you know, what it did for people's minds just to slow down, what it did for the environment and, like, all these things, you know. Like, slowing down is such a good thing. It is
0: such a good thing, yeah. Um, And, again, that's just perspective, right, how you look at that. There's probably some people that look at it and, like, it was the worst thing ever right? blah, blah, blah. But it's like, yeah, if you – can change your mindset and actually apply, um, the good things that came out of COVID and you'd probably look at it totally differently. Yeah. So you, uh, obviously COVID happened, ended up staying here in Niceville. And then you ended up buying a (laughs) franchise. Yeah.
2: So 20, that was 2020 and, you know, Florida, we got back to work pretty quick. I was fishing a bunch at the time. Um, you know, just, Kind of in a good place, you know. Good with my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't really have anything on the horizon, and didn't at the time. Didn't really care, you know, because things were good at home and mentally. And um, knew a guy from the gym, and didn't really know him that well. I just saw him at the gym every day. And a dude named Charlie Keyball. And uh, I was working out one day, and he was like, "Hey, man, I heard you like to cook." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I do." And he was like, "You ever want to start a restaurant?" And I was like, "Nah, not really." He's like, what about a coffee shop? And I was like, no, not really. <laughs> and he's like, what about a Black Rifle coffee shop? And I was like, oh, um, yeah, I don't know. That's cool, I guess. And he's just like, he's like, well, he's like telling me how he's friends with Jared Taylor and all these things. So I was like, oh, that's cool, you know, and just kind of was like, whatever. Kind of left the gym, kind of forgot about it. Well, um, I happened to be in like Bass Pro Shop like two days later and they have this whole like Black Rifle like kiosk there, with, like all their stuff. And I was like, pfft. I'd seen it online. I'd see some of their videos. I knew what it was, but didn't really – hadn't really dug in. I was like, well, let me get – I like coffee. You know what I mean? So I got some coffee. Tried. I was like, man, this is really good coffee. You know, this is awesome. And then just so happened, the next week, friggin' listen to Joe Rogan like I do, and Evan Hafer and Matt Bester on there. And I was like, this, this is weird. You know what I mean? And um, listen to them, and, like, just their, like, authenticity, like – like yes, they're military guys, you know, special operators. You know, you know, Evan, you know, did the whole like ground bearance thing, which I find super fascinating and all that stuff. But what I really found interesting about them was like their like realness about like um, you know about like how like their leadership aspects, like how they they work how they work with each other and their other team, what they expect out of their teammates and and their coworkers, like their passion. Like I love people that nerd out on stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I don't care what it is. Like if you nerd out on something, like I'm gonna find that interesting. You know, whether it's cigars or <laughs> jujitsu or guns or whatever. Because I'm just a curious, dude. You know what I mean? And like this guy, like legitimately nerded out on coffee and turned it into a, a company. You know, Matt Best and Jared Taylor yep. have unbelievable marketing skills, and Evan or Matt is such a marketable guy. You know, Jared, you'd sit he around is, and talk he to him. He's handsome. Yeah, he's a beautiful man. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, Jared Taylor, you know, with his his passion for, you know, v- the videos and the editing and aviation, and he's just, they're just interesting people to me. And so I ended up running into Charlie uh, like two weeks later. I'm like, hey, man, like, you got like a proposal? You got like a projection? Like, he, he, he was like, oh, yeah, man. He's like, you want to get a beer? And I was like, hell yeah. So it was like a rainy, like, December day and we go to craft bar over in destin he's got all this paperwork all these graphs and traffic counts all this stuff and sitting there having a drink you know just talking about it we sat there like two hours and it's like dude let's let's do it man i was like well i'm not doing anything until we go see a store Mm. you know so let's go out to san antonio let's go meet you know let's go meet these people and and let's go kick it around (laughs) so it's hilarious we're sitting there and we're like shake hands like yeah we're gonna go down this road and and walk two knucklehead buddies of mine that I knew from the bars in Niceville. <laughs> uh, and uh, Aaron Peck was one of them, his buddy Billy. Uh, they were always together. Um, they come bebopping in. We're the only four people now in the bar. And they're like, hey, what are you guys doing? What is this a day date? You know, they're like giving a shit or whatever. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and, we're, and Aaron kept poking. He's like, no, really, what are y'all doing? What are y'all doing? And it was like, well, we're thinking about opening a coffee shop. And he's like, I'll be a barista. I'm just getting out of the military, man. Hire me. Or we're like, yeah, whatever. You know, he's like, no, seriously, hire me. Like, whatever. And so we end up going out to San Antonio, like, two weeks later, like, meeting, you know, some of their execs and then looking at a couple stores and, you know, doing my own research and just fell in love with the company and ended up buying a franchise, buy, you know, getting a franchise agreement and you know going down that road and the first thing we were to do was hire our gm so we started interviewing some of these people these people from the food and beverage industry or whatever and um and none of them like kind of hated all of them we didn't hate them, but like there's a few of them i hated but anyways um i i told charlie i was like dude we need to call aaron like i don't know if he was serious i think he was joking but let's just call him just see you know what he says and and so you know aaron was uh green beret yep um, for 15 years, ended up medically discharging, getting out medically, um, and was going through his own dark time. You know, he had a, a hip and a back surgery, and he went from, like, like, you know, full-on operation. You know, he was on that wheel, and then it just stopped. And when it stopped, it stopped fast. And because he was laid up with a, a hip and a back, he gained some weight, was drinking a bunch. It was just He was a stay-at-home dad. You can go from being an operator to a stay-at-home dad that's a, that's not a good spot. Yeah. There's a lot of people out there in that world. And, um, you know, so we, we called Aaron we're like, Hey, you know, we want to talk to you about this, this GM position. He was like, dude, you what took you so long? You know, I've been waiting for your call, you know, say so, like he was serious, you know? So we go, we go meet and um, interviewed him and it took two seconds. Like that's our guy. And Aaron's just one of those guys that like, People just love to be around. You know, he lifts everybody's spirit up around him. You know, knew nothing about coffee, knew nothing about food and but he was a he was a eighteen bride. He was a we, he was a weapons guy. He's a meathead. You know what I mean? Like, you know, but like Aaron just connects with other humans. Like oh, if yeah. you meet Aaron, you remember him. And he has a talent that uh he has a talent that cannot be taught and that he's one of those guys, if he meets you, he will remember your name. You know, and few people have that ability. Oh, yeah, I don't. And I I don't either. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I I can't, you know, yeah. like you tell me your name and it's, it comes out as little you know what I mean? Just, whatever. Yeah. Aaron will rem- will remember your name and he'll remember something about you and when he's standing at the register taking orders like people are walking up he's like, "Hey, Connie, how you doing? You know, vanilla draft latte. Oh, yeah, cool. Mm. Hey, Chuck, what's going on, man? You getting your uh, your 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 large vanilla with an extra shot? Oh, cool, man. I mean, just, oh, Batch Brew again. That's perfect. Have a, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's unbelievable. Yeah. And we'll go to a, a bar, and he's back there talking to s- the bus boy. I'm like, how do you know him? And he was like, we were here last week. I was like, yeah, I know, but how do you know the bus boy? He was like, he told me his name. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> you can't <laughs> teach awesome. that. That's yeah. awesome. You can't teach that, you know, and, and – uh, so fast forward, that was um, – that was going in – that was January of 21. Um, went through the construction phase, opened up, opened our store in Niceville. And in, uh, sep- the end of September of 21 was our soft opening. And our grand opening was um, the end of October. So we've been open a little over a year now. And oh. i tell you what, man, like I love that company, you know, like when I was doing my research, like figuring out. But now, I mean, like – you know what I mean like I like coffee like I'm a coffee guy but like just like just what they stand for you know like you know giving back like this shop this shop just it just feeds me you know yeah. what I mean it it as people say it, it fills your cup and you got to have something that fills your cup whether it's your job or your hobby or something that gives you purpose and like even if this if this store broke even like I would I would still do it because, it's it's just man you just get con- you get to connect with people, on such a cool level. We have so many we have I mean we have awesome employees. I mean I got six Green Berets. One of our one of our guys has invaded two countries, you know what I mean he's done some unbelievable things. He was yeah. a jump guy. He was a he's a Halo instructor. He's I don't know how many thousands of jumps he's got. He's just a he's an intriguing mm. person. You know what I mean? I got five colonel wives that work for me. All their husbands are badasses. Got a bunch of kids. All their their parents all did cool stuff. Mm. You know what I mean? Like they're just fascinating people. And then we got like like our guests that come in. Like we've, you know, F thirty five pilots come in all the time. You have cops that come in all the time. You know what I mean? We had a we had a uh Mac V saw guy come in. Oh, nice! Uh, a couple yeah. months ago, it's just super fascinating. People, it's like every day, like we just meet interesting people, and and we do a ton of outreach, do all these fitness events, and you know, it's just you know, it's just a really, really company, really cool company to be a part of.
0: Well, I think that speaks a lot to, I mean, you and Charlie, the way you run that place too. Because mm-hmm. I mean, the times that I've been up there, it's evident that it's like all about community, right? Bringing people together. Um, it doesn't matter where, what backgrounds you came from, whatever it's like, you guys definitely bring that whole vibe to that place and you can see it. Um, you know, and then you put on these, you've put on the memorial workouts there. Yeah. Um,
2: two great workouts, man. We did. Yeah. We did. Uh, first year we did, um, the, well, it was the Murph, and then we got into some legal trouble, so we had to change it to the <laughs> oh. Memorial Day workout. Yeah. But, yeah, we raised, what, $14,000, gave half of it to the Pipe Hitter Foundation, the other right. one to the EOD uh, Warrior Foundation. The, this year we changed it. We made it our own. We call it the Lou, yep. uh, honoring, yep. honoring uh, Louis DeLeon, who was killed in 2019. He's a seventh group guy, and when our, one of our GM's best friends. Um, did a workout there in the parking lot, raised like another like fourteen or $15,000, gave it, gave it to the uh, – Special Operators Warrior Foundation. Um, we do, I mean, we do stuff all the time, just little things. Um, we do. We have a free boot camp that we put on every Friday for anybody that wants to attend. Um, we were doing it in the parking lot. <laughs> Had to move it for liability reasons. <laughs> Afraid somebody might get hit with a kettlebell, so we moved it to Blue Water Fitness over in Niceville, and uh, hey, it's a ton of fun, man.
0: Yeah, that is awesome. Um, so I, I want to like. uh, talk about something real quick um that just sort of um defines who you are to me Mm -hmm. uh because you know we've been hanging out right off and on and then i uh, remember when we did that um ruck run yeah with the seventh group (laughs) dudes uh so we went me and jared showed up uh these the seventh group guys who were awesome allowed us to come and do their friday uh Workout with them. Mm. Um, and I believe it was like a 12 mile.
2: Yeah, it was th- yeah, 13. yeah it was, 13. It was mile. like their qualification. They were pro- yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, which was, it was awesome. And then we got. Eddie you know, smoked him, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, by one. By <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you invite a seal to. Uh, I like, know, right?
2: Dude, they still talk about that. Like, Dude, we invited that guy. We knew he was in shape, but he beat everybody <laughs> like 15 <laughs> minutes.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, I was hungry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I remember we got done, and we got, they allowed us to talk to them. I, I gave them yeah. a little talk on transition and just, like, what to prepare for. And then I remember your speech you gave them, and it really resonated with me um, because it, it resonated with me and it inspired me at the same time because yeah. you were talking about your career in the NFL and just how, you know, no matter what, like all these gains you made in the NFL, you always felt like like I don't – not like you don't belong, but it's like I have to constantly work – Yeah to be here. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you're among these giants and it was like each year you, and I I forget the exact words that you you said, but to me, I was like, that is the exact mindset that I had. Yeah. I was in like, it's almost like imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. You're like, dude, I don't belong with these individuals, but I will do whatever it takes to stay here Mm. and to prove myself. That's a good word. Um,
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't remember the exact speech, but like, it's like, you know, complacency is death. And like when in anything you're doing, when you stop and you say, "Oh, I've made it! Oh, I'm a, you know, Green Beret, or I'm a Navy Seal. Like I'm awesome. Yeah, I can settle. Like the the like in the NFL, like." the minute that you've arrived, like start the clock, it's about to end. Like it's over. If you are not constantly getting better, if you're not constantly finding a way to contribute to the team and to support a piece of the pie that that whole team has to support. If, if you're not, if, if you're not staying hungry, like you're not going to be there long and you just have to, You have to find what outside, you know, you you apply that to whatever you're doing, whether it's military, sports, business, whatever it is. Um, And then when it changes, because in the military and in sports and it changes fast and it changes when you're young, you have to be able to apply that to something else and have that same sense of motivation and the same sense of get out of bed and achieve something you, you got to be grinding and like, and you can't just, you know, one of my favorite books is like, uh, what is this called? Subtle art, the subtle art of not giving an F. Yeah, yep. It's a great book, but he talks about, um, how many men worked their whole life saving f- a saving to buy a house on the beach so they can retire and drink margaritas for the rest of their life. And then, they work till they're 70 years old and they build up this nest egg and they buy the house and they get in the house and in six months they're empty and they're void and they're yeah. sick of drinking, drinking margaritas and yeah. they're gaining weight and they're depressed and then they die of a heart attack a year later or whatever.
1: Yeah. I, I think that there's, I will, like when you've, with business at least, like you, you build up, build up, build up and then all of a sudden, finally, oh my God, it actually worked. Like, yeah. You actually, like now you, especially if you MRR, like having reoccurring revenue. Mm hmm. And like, and oh, and it's growing. And like, I can do less, and it grows more. Like, and then, and then you're like, well, wait, okay, what do I do now? Like, what's the next leveling up? How do I level up as a man? How, mm-hmm. I, and I think there is a point, and it, I think both of, I think all three of us are there. It's where you begin to shift over into how can I give back? Right? How can I really begin to look at other people? How can I Because re- that's what really matters is people, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like at the end of the day, like I mean, is. $5 million, $10 million more are going to be, like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> At the end of your life, are you going to go, like, man, if I only had made $5 million more, like, no. You're going to go, hey, man, did I, am I leaving my kids with grit, tenacity? Did, did I really give them a good chance for these things in life? Did, Am I leaving, you know, did I really love my wife well? Did I, mm-hmm. so forth, so forth. Did I really, you know, go outside my, did I take care of my house? But then did I go outside my house to the next level? and begin to help other people with the gifts that God gave me or, or right. with what, what life has presented me with. And I, and I feel like you're there, you know, yeah, you're doing a coffee shop, but this is not a cop. Like, I mean, yeah. coffee shop's a vehicle, Yeah. but the purpose, your why mm-hmm. I'm not going to quote that Simon guy, uh, but your why, <laughs> your why really is, man, it, it is, man, commu- it, it, it is connecting. That's that, right. That's the one word I heard you say is like grit and connecting. Um, Dude, I super appreciate you coming on here. We have to wrap up because you're yeah, yeah. <laughs> telling me to wrap up. But uh, man, it's been awesome, awesome yeah, here. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, yeah, brother. I mean, you. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, it's uh, been awesome. You know, you've been nothing
0: but a great friend to me and my family, and just you definitely set the bar, man. Yeah, bro, man. For you know how to transition and give back, and just how to live life to the fullest. And
2: yeah, I, I appreciate
1: that. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, thank brother.
2: you, man. Yeah.